This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Yes, you have found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. We're coming to you from our flagship station, Zuma Radio, here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, 50,000 watts of peace and love. Albert is here running our HOA Hangout on Air. And once again, if you want to join the live stream... Uh, you can watch this radio program, watch the radio show on YouTube. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard, S-Y-R-E-T-T, and click on the tweet located at or near the top of the uh, feed, and it's uh, the one containing the big capital letters H-O-A, hang out on air. Just click on H-O-A, and you are in. And you can see me here in studio. I even trimmed my beard, put on uh, a fresh shirt, Shined my glasses, put some product in my hair just for the occasion. <laughs> I do have some dirt under my fingernails, incidentally, however. I was, I'll try to keep those off of the webcam. <laughs> I was spreading some compost on the garden today, uh, and it was a cold, wet day for it, I tell you. And now, and, uh, for all of you gardeners out there, not that I'm really a, I'm kind of an amateur. Um, I used to garden a little bit more, and now we're trying it again. We'll see how it goes. But uh, don't get too anxious. Uh, don't stick anything in the ground until after May 2-4, as we say here in Canada, the Victoria Day weekend or Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., because we are likely to see a few killing frosts uh, before that time. It is cold and damp in May, at least up here here in these uh, parts, and I know uh, up in western New York and so forth. Uh, However, wherever you are, I hope the weather is fine. Uh, Speaking of spreading compost, uh, we're going to talk U.S. politics uh, in just a few moments. Best-selling author, broadcaster, and the senior pastor from Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Florida. Carl Gallups is with us. We'll, we'll uh, run a number of things up the flagpole, including the rise of Donald J. Trump. You cannot ignore this story. It is historical. Love him or hate him, uh, or whether you're undecided, uh, you don't want to miss this conversation. And we'll also place a Trump within the context of biblical prophecy because um, Pastor Gallups has... Um, written another book. Uh, this one, his latest, and I believe it's it's uh, available 
in October, but you can do some pre-ordering now. We'll find out about that. But it's, um, it's, it promises to be another good one. And uh, it's called When the Lion Roars, Understanding the Implications of Ancient Prophecies for Our Time. How does Donald Trump, Donald Trump, I am, <laughs> Donald Trump, Freudian slip? No. Uh, Donald J. Trump, how does he fit into that context, biblical prophecy? Uh, Ian Robertson is on the other side of the glass tonight, twisting the dials and knobs. Uh, just a reminder, Saturday, uh, next Saturday, that's May the 21st, I'll be hosting an event at the University of Toronto, Missing 411 Canada, author David Polites uh, will be presenting his uh, compelling and most disturbing research. Uh, Albert calls it just plain creepy. He's not sure he's going to go, right, Albert? He's just, he's, he's actually scared. Um, I don't know if you followed uh, David Polites. He's been on Coast to Coast many times, and he's written a series of books. This is number five on this whole um, Missing 411 series, People That Go Missing in the National Parks Across North America. And we're not talking about, well, someone fell down a sinkhole or... Uh, they just got lost in the woods and they were never found. They perished and maybe, you know, their remains were scattered by uh, by animals or something. No, we are talking about a different kettle of fish entirely. These are very strange disappearances. Uh, you don't want to miss this event. Saturday, May 21st. And uh, I'll be emceeing and presenting uh, or introducing David, but this is a conspiracy culture presentation. Our dear friends Patrick and Kadena, and uh, you can find out more. Uh, just go to conspiracyculture.com. And you can order tickets right there online and follow and, and get all the information, uh, conspiracyculture.com. Uh, I also want to mention, for those uh, inclined, uh, there is on uh, that same date, Saturday, March, or Saturday, May the 21st, there is this, I don't know how extensive it is. It's, it's throughout North America, I think, anyway, but there'll be one here in Toronto, the March Against Monsanto. Uh, but they're also marching against Dow and DuPont and, and, uh, and others. Uh, this is all about, you know, preserving the safety of our, of our food supply and so forth. Very concerned about genetically modified uh, organisms. So the March Against Monsanto happening in Toronto, Saturday, May 21st. And um, if you want to check out, well, you could do the march and then you can, and then you can stop by the U of T after you've marched and sit down and, and listen to David Pol- uh, Polites. Uh, incidentally, you can get more information on the march. Go to uh, wwwmarch against hyphen monsanto.com triple w dot march hyphen against hyphen monsanto.com all right you know the uh, the never trump crowd uh, are slowly coming around to the idea being dragged and uh, kicking and screaming nonetheless but uh, they're coming around finally they're realizing that donald j trump is going to be uh the republican nominee and barring some indictment, which is very possible, or coughing fit uh, or other scandal, Donald will tra- uh, face off against the presumptive Democrat nominee, which is Hillary Clinton, of course. And um, again, love him or hate him, I believe we have to also come to grips with the fact that Donald Trump has a very real shot, despite what all the, the talking heads and the pundits are saying. Remember Carter versus Reagan. In 1980, Carter was way ahead in the polls. Reagan was dismissed as, a, as an outsider. And I believe he carried 49 out of 50 states. And, it, and that's how that, that race is won. It's state by state. You have to remember that. It's about the, uh, the Electoral College, state by state. So Trump has a genuine shot at becoming the next potus and commander-in-chief. 
So we are going to talk about the rise of Trump and how he may just fit into biblical prophecy. Carl Gallups is the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Florida. He's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Magic Man in the Sky. He's a conference leader, evangelist, Christian media icon, former law enforcement official, one of the founders of video teaching material to the world-famous P.P. Simmons YouTube ministry and a biblical apologetics channel. He's a graduate of Florida State University and the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. His latest book is entitled, When the Lion Roars, Understanding the Implications of Ancient Prophecies for Our Time. Carl, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. It's it's good to see you again, my friend. I, I miss not being, I think it was about a year ago, I was in Toronto with you. Uh, let's see, that w- it was not that long ago. It was, was it, I think it was October, wasn't it? No, oh, no, 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 you're right. No, um, hmm. Richard, I don't know. <laughs> it's all a blur. We need, hey, we it's need all to a... do it again. Let me just say that. <laughs> Fair, you're right. You're right. Six months a year, who's counting? Yeah, that's right. It, but anyway, it's been a while, and uh, it's just great to see your face, to see you in studio, and, and I'm honored to be here with you and your audience tonight. Thank now, you for having me. Now, When the Lion Roars, Understanding the Implications of Ancient Prophecies for Our Time. It's not out until October, so I otherwise I'd hold right. up a copy in front of the webcam, but you, you're accepting pre-orders for that? Well... You know, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you're even mentioning this tonight, uh, because I'm really not at liberty oh. from my publishers to talk about oh, it. Oh, my and, apologies. No, I was... that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I don't suppose you knew that, and, and I, I don't, didn't know that you had access to all of that. Well, it's, just, it's on your website, Carl. On my website? Uh, well, if you when you go to uh, About Carl Gallops on your website, oh, it takes you to your... probably on Amazon. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's okay. No, I'm not chastising you, my friend. I'm just... You saying, better not be. You better not no, be. I certainly <laughs> am not. I know I'm aware that uh, the publishers have put it on, uh, I think, Amazon and Books A Million and, and, okay. and, and those places. So I, I know that it's there, but... Um, I'm really not supposed to get into great detail about talking about it Enough until said. it gets a little closer to release, and you understand that. Enough said. Uh, but but yeah, but listen, it's it's on the internet, so you've given the the title, and that's correct. And I do think I saw the other day that the digital format is available for pre-order. Yes. The actual book format uh, won't be available for a couple of more months for pre-order. There you go. So the yes. digital, you can pre-order that. Uh, All I right. think that's correct, yeah. Excellent. And yeah. Then, in the meantime, of course, we have Be Thou Prepared, equipping the church for persecution in the times of trouble. Yeah. Uh, the rabbi who found Messiah, which continues... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to cause quite a commotion uh, yeah. around and the world. Final, and final and fi- warning as final well. Warning. We talked yes. about that one. Yeah. Final warning. All right. Well, yeah. let's talk Trump here for a while. Okay. Um, my gosh. Uh, I, as I say, love him or hate him, you cannot deny this man has changed politics in the United States perhaps forever. And I think the change that is happening, again, separating the man from the change, is a positive, a huge, a tremendous positive. People, he has managed to break the yoke uh, of the what I call the equestrian class, which has a, a hold on both parties. What are your thoughts? No, I agree. I couldn't have said it any better. I didn't know that's exactly what you were going to say, but um, if I were going to try to put it in eloquent terms, I would say exactly what you just said. He is a phenomenon, and separating the man from the phenomena. 
Uh, and the reason we say that, or at least the reason I'm saying that, and I suspect it's the same reason you're saying it, because I don't think you or I, neither one of us, are claiming that he's some kind of superman or superhero or that he's the best thing that's ever happened or that he is a a stellar guy in 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 every aspect of his life uh but but then who is you know what mm. what what candidate has ever been uh but the point is the point that you're making so eloquently is that what a phenomena this is this has changed it will you're right it has changed politics in america forever and i think some of the reasons are it has brought well listen it has exposed what people like you and i have been called conspiracy theorists about for years but it has exposed it as absolute fact we now have the establishment on both sides of the aisle in the united states proclaiming publicly early on in the Trump phenomena when there was this great panic that this guy who wasn't who was supposed to just be a joke he was supposed to be a clown you know everybody was making fun of him but he soundly defeated what was it 17 people in the Republican field yes and, and rose to the top and not only rose to the top but rose to the top with this huge majority among the Republicans and 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 the electoral college and the raw millions of people voting for him so this meteoric rise panicked the establishment on both sides of the aisle. And what I have been saying for years, and I suspect you probably have suspected the same thing, if not have said it, and that is is that through the, through the decades, more and more Americans had come to believe that there really wasn't a dime's worth of difference between the establishment Republicans and the establishment Democrats. In fact, um, I've had several guests on my program uh, say, uh, people who are in the, in the Beltline loop, saying that, you know, presidents in the United States are not really elected, they are selected. Correct. And I have, you know, and people have been saying that, and I've been trying to help people understand the truth behind that. And of course, you know, I was called a conspiracy theorist and a tinfoil hat and a sensationalist. And, you know, I was just trying to, to uh, you, you know, upset people. But now, because of the Donald Trump phenomena, America has heard with their own ears the establishment elite, the party elite, declaring in front of the cameras with arrogance, with anger, just a few months ago, that we don't care what the votes are. We select the candidates. You know, we, I mean, so that really caught the attention of a lot of Americans. That was certainly brought home during the New Hampshire primary when yeah. Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> although he won in terms of the popular vote, he actually lost uh, because of this phenomenon known as superdelegates. Uh, so Hillary Clinton won more delegates from New Hampshire. That's how she's being catapulted to, to the position of the presumptive nominee as, uh, as the Demo for the Democrats exactly. based on the superdelegates because Bernie has won something like 21 primaries. And then we had the head of the DNC, uh, Wasserman, actually go on uh, mainstream media and declare superdelegates are designed to prevent a populist uprising from electing someone like Bernie Sanders so that the – basically she was saying so that the elites can, 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 can maintain control over the, the selection process. We had someone admitting that. Yes. Very telling. All right. We'll uh, take a time out. Carl Gallup stays with us. We'll talk about the rise of Trump right here on The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Curiosity or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Carl Gallops is with us, the author of Be Thou Prepared, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Final Warning, The Magic Man in the Sky, longtime senior pastor at the Hickory Hammock Baptist Church uh, in Florida. And uh, we are talking about the rise of Trump. Uh, you know, I don't even think we can call it the Republican Party anymore. It's the Trump Party. And because so many of his positions, uh, you know, they are not uh, – some might call him kind of a Rockefeller uh, East Coast Republican because he's somewhat socially liberal. He's very socially liberal actually. Um, and then he's – you know, he's not a free trader. So he's not against uh, – or he's, he's against a lot of these uh, foreign entanglements and, and things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and even the North America Free Trade uh, which which means he's going to attract a lot of sort of the old you know the Reagan Democrats and 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 this, so this is going to be very interesting. But would you concur that that the the Republican Party, the Bush Republican Party, um, the the Mitt Romney Republican Party, it's dead and gone. It's now the Trump Party. Yeah, no, I would concur. I mean that's where we are in American history right now, for better or for worse. Um, but we, you, you know, for those of us, and, and of course I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor and I come from a biblical worldview, um, so therefore I'm, I'm, I'm pretty conservative <laughs> socially, etc. Um, and, and for those of us that are social conservatives, uh, you know, listen, here's the choice we're faced with. Short of, of, of as you said earlier, something happening like an indictment or something along those lines, it, it, and, and, I mean, you know, God forbid anything happening to any of the candidates. I mean, six months from now, that's, that's still a long time. But, but short of anything strange happening, uh, it's going to be between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now, people like myself in the United States, and there are millions of us um, who are active uh, voters, we engage the system, we speak, we vote, uh, we get involved. For people like us, uh, this go-round... Donald Trump is our only answer. Uh, he's, he's not the perfect candidate for those of us that are staunchly conservative. Uh, he certainly leaves a lot to be desired in some of the social areas, as you said. But um, we are extremely concerned with the eight years that we've had under Obama and some of the absolutely ludicrous, ridiculous social experimentation that is being uh, leveled upon our culture. The latest, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about the decree coming out of Washington commanding all public schools to open restrooms in the public school with our children uh, to transgenders. And, and not only that, but to uh, the locker rooms and showers. A lot of people don't know that, but that was in the decree as well. And that, uh, and that the school officials are not allowed to ask any questions, to ask for any identification. Just if some man says, I feel like a woman today, he can go into a restroom in a public school with, with little girls 
for example. These kinds of things are just uh, absolutely offending the sensibility of the vast majority of America in huge ways. Well, and, never – and you take you know, transgendered people out of the equation. It gives license to someone who's not transgendered to use course. that as cover to slip into uh, – um, a restroom, and we had a recent incident. It was published on World Net Daily. The story of a man who went into a, a, a restroom, I believe it was in a restaurant, and they found him choking an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly. This right. is the I issue. Mean, yeah. No, it's insane. It defies sensibility because because there are people. I mean, it's not the majority of our population, thank God, but there there are people who will use and abuse this. Uh, beyond the, the stretch of our imagination, and, and it just goes beyond sensibility. So, so the point being, I mean, we can talk about all this if you'd like as well. I was using it as an illustration of just one of the examples of, of why millions of us out here in the heartland of the United States of America are saying, look, if we have to choose between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, then Donald Trump is the no-brainer because Hillary Clinton – is will you know she falls in the Obama camp? In fact, some people have said she may wind up being Obama on steroids. You know because she she is in that same ultra left liberal wing and has been for all, all of her life. And so Donald Trump, even though he is socially liberal in some areas, he still is speaking to the heart of America. And I think this is why he's become such a phenomenon. He says, "Look, I want." To guard our borders, I want to to protect our our culture. Um, you know, I'm going to build the wall. I know that offends some people, but look, the the Pope who's telling us you shouldn't build a wall. Well, the Vatican has one of the largest walls around its borders than any nation state in in the world. They have some of the toughest border restrictions and immigration restrictions. The the hypocrisy of this just stinks to high heaven. The United States of America can't defend its borders? We can't stop illegals from flooding over by the millions? Well, of course, that defies sensibility. And Donald Trump is speaking that. He's saying, look, I will stop this insanity. On top of that, Richard, as you know, ISIS is bragging daily of what it's doing in Europe and what it is doing in the United States, using these border crises as uh, a Trojan horse for getting its operatives in here. Our own FBI has already published reports saying that they are tracking ISIS cells in all 50 states in the United States of America. That's insanity. We're relocating refugees, Muslim immigrants and refugees, all over our nation in pockets by the tens of thousands from the Middle East under this Obama regime. Hillary Clinton basically promises to continue that and more. One of the things that I find somewhat ironic is, and for those who found his call for a temporary, he said a temporary ban on Muslim immigration uh, for those non-American Muslims into the country, just a temporary until we can figure out how we can vet these people. Uh, people forget that uh, Jimmy Carter, and that's, he was about as left-wing a president as you could get, uh, in 1979, banned Iranians, yeah. Iranians from coming into the United States. Of course, this in the aftermath of the hostage uh, 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 um, situation. Right. So, I mean, there is precedent for this. Yes. Not only did he ban them, Richard, but he shipped thousands of them out of here um, during that Iranian 
hostage crisis, banned Muslims from entering the country. This was, you know, one of the one of the, one of the most left-wing liberal Democrat presidents we've had in my lifetime up until Barack Obama. So, you know, you're absolutely right. And 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 you know, a Canadian, you know more more about American history than a lot of Americans seem to know. And so people are castigating Donald Trump for saying what to me and to many millions, obviously, makes perfect common sense, and that is we don't hate Muslims. We don't hate immigrants. America was built on immigration, legal immigration. But we do not want our borders to be porous and open and lawless because the lawless people will take advantage of it. The terrorists, our enemies. I mean, what nation in its right mind? A nation without borders is no nation at all. And of course, there are the globalists who desire to do that to the United States of America. And I'm telling you, if it happens to the United States of America, Canada is in dire straits as well, and you know that. Certainly. Canada and the United States, we are we are cousins, we are sisters, if you will, in this. We are brothers, however you want to couch the terms. We we are dependent upon one another. Well, a and, wall isn't going to be 100% effective, obviously. They're no. discovering tunnels all the time sure. of all from all the way up into 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 San Diego and so forth. But one of the things that it will also do uh, is, uh, again, it's not going to, it's not the cure-all, but it is going to seriously stem the flow of illegal drugs into the United States from Central America and and uh, and Mexico. And right. and, and uh, for someone who's been to places like New Hampshire uh, and, and is aware of the, the, the heroin epidemic in beautiful, picturesque, pastoral New Hampshire, mm-hmm. it is a, an ab- – it's out of control, heroin addiction. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that is, you know, another possible benefit of the wall. And maybe Trump needs to sort of uh, focus – well, he has been hammering away at that point as well, but it's, it's yeah. largely ignored. You know, the other moment I thought Trump – maybe one, the one moment when he was absolutely presidential and people are being – you know, even his own daughter saying, you've got to be more presidential. Uh, and that was when he delivered uh, – and it was an actual prepared speech uh, on – his sort of vision of American foreign policy moving forward. I don't know if you saw that speech, uh, but here's where he is really distancing himself from Hillary. Hillary, yes, she's very socially liberal, left of center on many issues. But when it comes to foreign policy, she is in lockstep, as is Obama, with the Bush uh, and the Clinton uh, regimes prior. Uh, they are two heads of the war party. Uh, and and uh, and Trump is insisting a totally new direction, not isolationist, but more non-interventionist, back taking the United States back uh, to a time before the Second World War. No more, he said. Are we going to be in the nation-building business? And to me, this is such a fresh a breath of fresh air. We've never had a Democrat or a, or a Republican nominee talking like this. And again, this is not a Republican speaking. This is the tr- the head of the Trump Party. Yes. No, I agree. And and as you have uh, so aptly noted in the in, in the beginning of this uh, this time tonight, that uh, this is resonating. It's resonating from coast to coast. It's rec- resonating through the American heartland. Many many millions of people are coming on board that no one expected to. I mean, there are Democrats that are that are saying, you know, look look, we're voting for Trump. Um, you know, uh, uh, it, it's invigorated the Republican Party again. It, surely there are people that are that are you know concerned, hardline conservative, hardline evangelicals who are just saying, I just I just can't vote for either one of these people. You, you know, you've got that, 
but the but but what you have is an absolute phenomena as you said that's changing american politics probably forever because this guy is out of the belt way he is out of the establishment that's why the establishment hates him so badly by the way here in a few moments i have a perfect i think illustration of why there's that vitriolic hatred for donald trump from the establishment but let me just say just think about what donald trump is saying now again i'm 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 going to his rhetoric. I'm, I'm separating that from the man and any kind of faults he may have. And I'm just saying, listen to his platform. I want to li- listen to his motto. I want to make America great again. I'm going to tell you that resonates. We, for the last eight years, much of the heartland of America feels like um, America has well, well. Obama promised. He said, I'm going to fundamentally transform America. Well, he's kept that promise. You know, a lot of people accuse Obama of being this horrific liar. Well, here is one area where he has he has stuck by his guns, told the truth. He has fundamentally transformed America. And, and most people uh, uh, do not feel like it has been for the good. So along comes Donald Trump, Richard, and he says, we're going to make America great again, you know, whatever that means, but it's going to be great again. Americans want to hear that. The second thing, he says, I'm going to build a wall, and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it, the, one of the worst offenders to this. And we're going to get a grip on legal, sane immigration. Then he says, I'm going to bring America's corporations back. I'm going to strengthen, re-strengthen the military again. We're going to strengthen the economy. And he tells us how and how he plans on doing it. And then he comes up with this foreign policy that you were referring to. People, I'm telling you, Richard, this is resonating. And It's also con- very dangerous. Do what? It's also very dangerous, what he's, what he's uh, you know, putting out there. I mean, I do, I, God forfend anything were to happen to him or Hillary, as you say, but I, I fear for Donald Trump, particularly when it comes to foreign policy, because again, uh, Obama, Clinton, Bush, it's a continuum. It's a, and the, the United States system is based on continuity. That's what it's designed to preserve, continuity, especially in foreign policy. Yeah. And when Clinton called, or when, when Trump called them out on, you know, the, the fact that the foreign policy in the Middle East is a complete disaster almost by design. He hinted at it. They couldn't have planned it better had they tried, and maybe they did, right. to totally destabilize the Middle East. Right. He nailed them on that, both parties. Right. He did. And there are many of us who believe that it probably was by design, which is another reason why so many people are wanting to get on the Trump bandwagon, even Democrats, Richard, even Democrats. All right. When we come back, let's uh, let's look into uh, Scripture and see, is there anything in there that might point to this moment in history and the rise of Donald J. Trump? Could there be something, for example, in Final Warning, the seven trumpets, Trump? trumpets. See where I'm going? All right. Back with more of my conversation with Carl Gallups. The website, carlgallups.com, G-A-L-L-U-P-S, Carl, C-A-R-L, C-A-R-L, gallups.com. Stay with us right here. Don't go away. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. The rise of Donald J. Trump. How to explain this phenomenon? I, um, I would point to Newton's third law. Uh, an equal and opposite reaction. And what is the uh, equal and opposite reaction? What is it reacting to, this phenomenon? Well, it is reacting to uh, decades of uh, things like political correctness. And we had a parallel here in in this fair city with with our mayor, our late mayor, Rob Ford, uh, who was even rougher around the edges than Donald Trump, if that's possible, uh, but he certainly was and had the same kind of populist appeal that cut across the political spectrum. It was no longer about right and left and conservative and liberal. Um, he was a deeply flawed individual, but he, he spoke uh, in such you know, plain language of the street, and uh, this had a, a, a tremendous appeal. Uh, and the same thing is happening with with Trump. And again, this this brash, uh, at at times vulgar, uh, presentation is an equal and opposite reaction to decades of stifling, odious uh, political correctness. I have witnessed it on college campuses, university campuses. It's quite frightening. Uh, what is happening? You know the the old saying: the slave becomes the tyrant. Uh, well, there was a, there obviously was a time when uh, particular people who had a particular viewpoint were perhaps maligned and abused by the other side. And now, I guess my, my, some might say, "Well, turnabout is fair play," but it's it's come back in, in ten times as bad. Uh, talk of, this is like the new McCarthy era, but this time uh, it's you know imagine a uh, a left wing liberal legion of Roy Cohns and uh, Senator Joe McCarthy. That's what we have uh, running amok now in all of our institutions. And, uh, and as I say, Donald Trump, I think this in part explains the phenomenon. He is the um, manifestation of Newton's third law. All right. Uh, Carl Gallups is uh, with us, carlgallups.com. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, longtime senior pastor, Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, is, is any of this this Trump phenomena to be found in Scripture? Well, listen, let me answer it like this, Richard. And before we went to break, you, you, you said something about you know the name Trump, and, and I've written a book called Final Warning, Understanding the Trumpet Days of Revelation, and you mm-hmm. laughed and said, see where I'm going with that? See? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, no, I don't make a connection to his name, his last name, to the trumpet uh, the, 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 the trumpet judgments, if you will, or the, the trumpet uh, uh, prophecies in the book of Revelation. But it's funny because, you know, if you get on Facebook, you get on Twitter, you get on social media, and you see people kind of making fun of that, making light of that, saying, well, you know, maybe he's the last Trump. You know, in other words, what they're saying is maybe he is America's last chance. Maybe he's America's last warning from God. Not not that God would use Donald Trump to be the savior of America. I don't think anybody thinks that. But but it's like, look, you've got a choice here. Trump kind of represents nationalism, making America great again. Hillary represents Obama, Clinton, Bush, globalism. And this kind of this one world orderish kind of thing, uh, and you, you, Trump 
kind of represents, not perfectly, but he, in a lot of the things he says, he represents a return to a respect for our heritage and our foundation, our Judeo-Christian foundation, and, 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 and he represents a return to some sort of maybe social sanity, uh, some return to some sort of respect for Israel, whereas Hillary represents the exact opposite of that. So if those things are true, then people are saying, you know, this may be in our lifetime and perhaps forever America's last chance. Again, not that I don't think I, I, I don't think anybody. I know I'm not looking at Donald Trump as the great savior of America, but just looking at it, you know, kind of prophetically. Now, I, my next book coming out, which I'm not at liberal to speak a lot about, but it's it's entitled uh, it, it, it's titled When the Lion Roars. That comes from Amos chapter three, uh, verse seven and eight. It's a you know a prophecy in the Old Testament that basically says, and I'm going to paraphrase. I don't have it in front of me, but it basically says, look, when the trumpet blows in the city, has not God sounded the alarm? When the lion roars, who can help but prophesy? And, of course, the lion being the voice of God, and, of course, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ himself, the ultimate fulfillment of the word of God. So the, so the, so the, the context of that verse and the title of the book is, look, the lion is roaring. And I start in that book with when Israel returned in 1948. There is no prophetic or biblical doubt about it. That's when the clock of prophecy started ticking. And I take it from there and come all the way up to where we are now, yes, even in this elect, election season. And I, and I bring out the astounding, and this is as far as I can go with my description of it tonight. I'm so sorry, Richard. But I bring out astounding prophetic fulfillments that have happened since the return of Israel, but particularly that it happened just in the last 5, 10, 15 years at the most that are in the scriptures that speak exactly to the days in which we're living. Now, later on I can come on your show and we can go through those things specifically, but the point is I believe and many, many millions of Americans and American Christians believe that we're living in extremely prophetic times, Richard. Now, how Donald Trump, the man, may or may not tie into that, I don't know. But I do know one thing. He has awakened America to a lot of things. As I said in the beginning of the show, first of all, he has shown just his presence and his meteoric rise and the reaction of the establishment elite to him. He has shown what many, many millions of Americans had suspected for decades. Now we heard the elite tell us, you don't pick the presidents, we do. We don't care what your votes are. And I'm telling you what, that brought down a firestorm upon the establishment elite. It freaked them out. And they've pretty much had to back up and zip their lips. They've pretty much been acquiescing to the, to the firestorm that they brought down when they just arrogantly and boldly and angrily came forward and basically said, we don't want Donald Trump. We don't care who you want. We're going to main this, maintain the status quo. Well, so, it, it, it's, yeah. we'll take a time out, Carl, when we come back. I want to pursue that idea, though, about you know, God uh, choosing leaders. Yes. Uh, and and who he chooses sometimes, uh, you know. Look at look at David, King David, yeah. a murderer, adulterer, a deeply flawed individual. Uh, but and, and sometimes you know God chooses people like that. Mm-hmm. Why not Donald J. Trump? As mm-hmm. flawed as he is, we'll uh, discuss when we come back. Carl Gallup's my guest. 
Be Thou Prepared, the Rabbi Who Found Messiah final warning. Back with more. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. The rise of Trump. That is the uh, topic du jour. And Carl Gallops is with us, senior pastor, Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Florida, the author of uh, a number of bestsellers, including Final Warning and um, uh, Be Thou Prepared, uh, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. Uh, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Doesn't that tell us that God ultimately chooses who our leaders will be? Yeah, Richard, that's an excellent question. It's been debated by theologians for thousands of years. I think the answer to it is yes and no. And let me, I'm not walking the fence, I promise you. I want to give you a solid theological answer to that. We have to be very careful if we proclaim that the Scriptures proclaim in context that God just chooses who He wants. If that's the case, then why do we do anything? Why are we held accountable for our choices? Why, why should we even get involved? Why does Jesus command us to be the salt and the light and then chastises us, telling us if the salt loses its saltiness, then it'll just be trampled underfoot and it's worthless? And so we're commanded in the Scriptures to be involved. Um, the book of James tells us, look, faith without works is dead. You know, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So, so here we are, when, those, when that scripture was written in Romans chapter 13 is the one you quoted, um, and then there's, there's a, a sister verse to it, I think, in Second Peter, First Peter, I can't remember. But anyway, um, when those passages were written, they were written under the Roman Empire. Uh, the early Christians had no opportunity to be engaged in the system. They couldn't vote. They couldn't run for office. Uh, they were under the auspices and or, or the direction and the, and the authority of the, of the Caesars and, 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 and the Roman Senate and the powers that be, and particularly those who were a part of the conquered people in the Roman Empire. So the point of that scripture, the context of that scripture is, look, ultimately God's got this. Yes, ultimately, Richard, that's why I said yes and no. Ultimately, he is sovereign. He uses who he chooses, and he uses them how he wishes. He can use a pharaoh who he may or may not have actually put in place, uh, and, and he, can, he can use King Nebuchadnezzar to proclaim his glory, as he did. Um, can he appoint, yes, in the nation of Israel, did he... Uh, speak to the heart of the priest Samuel and say, David is the one I have chosen? Yes, he did. Um, the people chose Saul. Uh, so, so you've got, you know, it, it, the pendulum swings. We have to be very careful to say, well, God's just going to put the person in, you know, he wants. So therefore, you know, the people of God, Christians, etc., in America, you don't even have to go to the polls to vote. 
Well, that's what gave us two terms of Barack Obama, because tens of millions of Christians admitted that they were so distraught over the whole political affairs of those days that they didn't even bother to register to vote. And of the tens of millions who did register to vote, less than 50 percent of them actually went to the polls. And, of course, then what happened was is the, the leftist agenda, those, those people did go out to the polls, and they overwhelmed what could have been perhaps a completely different turn of events. And so that's why we are where we are now with a uh, Supreme Court ruling, gay marriage, uh, the transgender bathroom issues, the targeting of Christians and Christian business people and Christian pastors by a radical runaway homosexual movement in America. I mean, all of that came out of, I believe, tens of millions of Christians disengaging from the system. So here we are in America now, several thousand years after those scriptures written, don't you know when Paul wrote Romans 13, for example, he would have given his right arm to have the freedom that we have in America to be involved, to get involved, to be engaged, to speak to the government, to redress the government, to run for office, to, to vote for people who you think might best represent protection for the Christian uh, way of life and, 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 and the history and heritage of our nation. Wonder what the early Christians living in the Roman Empire would think of tens of millions of American Christians saying, you know what, we're just going to opt out because you know God chooses whoever he wants anyway. So I think there's a real balance to the context of that. But you're right, though, Richard, and that is God is sovereign, and he can, he can certainly use a Donald Trump, who is less than a perfect stellar guy. But again, when I say that, I'm not really trashing the man. I mean, I don't want to sit in judgment of who is perfect. I mean, was Bill Clinton? He sang in the choir at Little Rock, Arkansas, Emanuel Church. Was Jimmy Carter perfect? He, he taught Sunday school at, at Plains, Georgia Baptist Church, two of the most liberal uh, presidents we've had. One of them turned out to be very godless and a, and a, and a, and a sexual deviant uh, in the White House. So, I mean, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, he turned out to be a pretty godly fellow used by God, and, and, but, but he admitted in the New York Times, he and his wife admitted they regularly used astrology charts to determine their daily schedules. Um, you, you know, I mean, we could go on and on with this. The point is, can God use a Donald Trump for such a time as this? Yes, he can, and millions of Americans believe that he will. And so we shall see. All right, let's grab a quick call here. Uh, we have Sean, who's here in Toronto. Sean, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Oh, ho, uh, Pastor Gallup. I, I wonder what you make of this most recent development where the billionaire Sheldon Adelson is uh, now having meetings with Trump and is uh, tentatively pledging to contribute at least $100 million to his campaign now that we're entering the presidential campaign proper just in the month to come. Now, this this would definitely undercut any claims to independence that Trump has has had so far, and that has endeared him to a lot of people. Um, even not that long ago, maybe four months or so ago, during the earliest primaries, uh, Trump was ridiculing people such as Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, saying that uh, Adelson would contribute a great deal of money to their campaigns. They, they were no better. He was just simply fashioning them to be his puppets. That's an excellent point. So, Carl, yeah. should Trump turn down 
uh, this money. I mean, he can't turn down the endorsement. An endorsement is, is, is one thing, but the Correct. money, and Trump clearly, he doesn't need it. He, I mean, he, he has spent very little money. This is a, an entirely a television campaign. He has no infrastructure on the ground. He doesn't need it. That's the other thing that's revolutionary about this. But should he turn down, uh, turn down the, uh, that contribution? He you know, has a uh, rather pernicious ideology, and he has, uh, for quite a long time now, been uh, financing various people in the Senate and Congress. Uh, and he's Okay, really I got the point. Let, let Carl respond here, if we could, Sean. Yeah. Let me get Carl's sorry, take sorry, on it. Thank sorry, you for the call. Sorry. No worries, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Sean, thank you so much for listening tonight, and I'm honored that you called in, and thank you for asking me that question. Very astute observation, Sean. And it's raised a lot of eyebrows, I can tell you that, as an American down here <laughs> listening to Americans talk about this and, and watching the news. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm following this very closely. Uh, Richard, you asked, should he turn it down? Well, if Donald Trump's listening tonight and if he wants to use me as his campaign manager in this or advisor, yes, he should turn it down. I mean, as you said, he can't turn down the end- – I mean, you can't stop somebody from endorsing you, but – you're right. He One of the hallmarks, one of the foundation planks of his popularity has been, look, I'm not beholden to anyone. I'm not taking big money, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from anybody. I'm a billionaire. I can handle this. I want the heartland. I, if you want to give five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, that's fine. But I don't need the ten million dollar or the hundred million dollar donations. I don't need this. I don't want to be connected like that. That is what has endeared him, as you said, Richard. So this is going to be interesting to watch this unfold. You're right. He ridiculed Rubio and Cruz for uh, aligning or attempting to align with this guy and people like him, and now. The headlines are carrying that Donald Trump may be in the throes of doing the same thing. Now, we also have to take into consideration, Richard, that, you know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes here. I mean, this could be a a whole attempt to set Trump up for um, uh, people pulling away from him, setting him up for a fall. I don't know that, and I'm, I'm just... Listen, I, I've been down the road enough now. I've been through enough presidential elections. I've been immersed in this one, watching all the little fine-tuning and dynamics of it. And I'm telling you, I smell a rat here, Richard. And I don't know if the rat is in the Trump campaign or if it's in the camp of those looking to undermine him. You're right. It could be, be, it could be a, a entrapment, uh, yes. someone from the establishment yes. trying to lure Trump inside yes. uh, so they can control him. Yes. Which is why I say he, he shouldn't take it. He doesn't need to. He's built his campaign on the fact that he wouldn't or hasn't. And I would say at this point, don't step into that trap. Now, there may be a whole lot about this that I don't know, and I could be dead wrong in my assessment, but I'm answering Sean's question as he asks it tonight, and that would be my advice to Trump tonight. I would agree. I mean, for those that have uh, supported Trump because that he is refusing uh, to take uh, money from from the various lobby groups, if if I mean, if he were to come out publicly and state on CNN or Fox when he's on Hannity, Sean Hannity, and say, "Thank you very much for the endorsement, but I will not accept a dime." Right. There, there's another five points uptick in the polls. Oh, yeah. I'd say at least. Oh but yeah. Speaking, I, I agree. Speaking, I agree. Speaking of political contributions, I mean, we just have a minute or two here, but uh, um, nobody in the mainstream media, surprise, surprise, talking about reports that Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton accepted. $100 million in contributions uh, from the various Gulf uh, sheiks. Yeah. 
to yeah. me, if this is, I mean, what, what do you hear? What do you know? Is there any credence to the story? Yeah. Well, listen, listen. There, there there's got to be credence to it, whether or not the actual figure is correct, because it is a long-established and well-known fact that the Clintons and the Bushes are deeply tied to Saudi money and to Saudi powers. They're deeply tied to the Muslim Brotherhood. We know that Uma Abedin, her her chief of staff, you know, has deep ties to the Muslim Brotherhood and to Saudi Arabia and to Saudi oil. And so, so it, this is not shocking to most Americans. It is, as you said, shocking, surprise, surprise, that the mainstream media makes very little of it, while at the same time they want to herald the fact that Donald Trump might be getting ready to take what could be deemed a legitimate <laughs> donation of of about the same amount from someone else but uh so yeah i this but this is the stuff this is the stuff richard that has so many millions of people on both sides of the aisle turning to a donald trump in this day and time and that's why I'm saying I'm kind of holding my breath on this, this latest thing that Sean called about, because this is a strange turn of events. It's going to be interesting. Now, you know, Donald Trump is brilliant businessman. I, this is a, my conspiracy. I just thought of it a few moments ago. But what if Donald Trump has set all of this up so he can turn him down and come out like the knight <laughs> in shining armor and get five-point boost in the ratings? Well, he is quite a chess player. There's yes. no question about that. Yes. Carl? It is going to be a wild ride. It's, if nothing else, uh, I can't vote, obviously, in your election, but it's a great spectator sport. Thank you so much, my friend. Richard, thank you. God bless you. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for your great listeners as well. Enjoyed it. My pleasure. CarlGallops.com. StrangePlanet.ca is your portal to this radio program, StrangePlanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, Richard S. Why? Because I love you, R-E-T-T, and as always, follow the truth. listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
From Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, taxi, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio. Here in Toronto, Canada, I bid thee welcome. Those checking us out on one of our affiliate stations on both sides of the border, the Zoomer Radio app, of course, which is fabulous and free, the Conspiracy Show app, likewise, fabulous and free, and the podcast, of course, stitcherradio.com, talk, uh, or, uh, iTunes, tunein.com, uh, and talkzone.com. Those of you uh, watching uh, are, are via the, uh, the Hangout on Air, the, uh, the live stream on YouTube, Welcome, all of you, however and wherever you're listening. It's great to have you here. Thanks for your company. Richard Estep, paramedic, volunteer firefighter by day, paranormal investigator by night, is standing by uh, to discuss true-life paranormal encounters in asylums, hospitals, and institutions. You know, and it makes perfect sense. A lot of ghost hunters, uh, you know, they, t- they hang out in cemeteries and trying to capture EVPs and, and, uh, and orbs and so forth. And you think about it, you know, why would a ghost hang out in a cemetery? They're gone. They're out of there. Uh, you know, by the time the cold body arrives at the gates of Forest Lawn, the spirit has long departed the body. Uh, it makes perfect sense that if you're going to go ghost hunting, the place to look is where people are coming and going quite literally, and that would be hospitals and asylums and other institutions where people pass. Uh, and um, it's funny, you know, if you talk to people in the healthcare profession, nurses, doctors, paramedics like Richard, uh, if you if they if you gain their confidence, it won't be too long before they start talking about paranormal activity that they have witnessed. Get on up to the website strangeplanet.ca and uh, check out the radio page strangeplanet.ca. That's basically a landing page. All my various uh, projects, uh, or most of them, are there. And you can go off madly off in all different directions. You can go to the radio page. Just uh, click on the radio page and you'll see The Conspiracy Show. And that is your portal to this program. And uh, tonight's show information is right there. Links to, the, to our guests' websites. You just click on their name. Book titles, if they've written books, it's all there. Their biographies. Uh, and if you register... Uh, to become a member, which is fast and it's easy and free, you gain access to special member-only areas like the past show art audio archives, which is uh, Albert, my producer's department. And Albert, you can go back, what, to like the spring, summer of 2012, right, and listen to old shows right there. So it's well worth it. It just takes a moment. Just click on that blue members uh, button on the, uh, the homepage. Again, you go to strangeplanet.ca. That's the landing page. And then figure out where do you want to go from there, the radio page. And you can find this program. Of course, there's a live events page. Speaking of which, let me just remind you again, Saturday, May 21st, at the University of Toronto, I'll be hosting a, uh, a special event, a conspiracy culture event with missing uh, 411 Canada author David Polites. And uh, that's happening again at the University of Toronto, Saturday, May 21st. And you can go to conspiracyculture.com. Uh, for more information, conspiracyculture.com. 
Uh, I just want to very quickly uh, dip into the mailbag here and acknowledge people are so nice, and I love getting actual mail. Do you remember those days when you used to get mail, things in envelopes and so forth? It's wonderful. Anyway, um, Alan in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. This must have cost him some, uh, some money in shipping, U.S. postage. Thank you, Alan. This is very nice. He sent me a copy of a book. Not his, but it's, uh, it's, I'm familiar with the book. Uh, I don't have it, though. It's Susie Hansen's The Dual Soul Connection, The Alien Agenda for Human Advancement. There's a little free plug for there for Susie Hansen. And um, this is um, about the, as I say, the alien abduction phenomenon. And Alan writes, a little uh, handwritten note here, Hi, Richard. I'm sending this book because it's the best contactee book I've ever read. I ordered extra copies of this book to give to people. I hope you enjoy this book as much as I did. You have to order this book from New Zealand unless you want the Kindle book. I've been fascinated with UFOs since the 1960s, and the information in this book is the best I've found yet. Enjoy, Alan. Well, Alan, thank you very much. That's very kind for sending that book along. And then the other thing I wanted to quickly acknowledge, here we go again, another uh, letter from... Um, an alleged targeted individual. Where is it? It's well, she actually. This is from um, Brenda in Toronto. I won't. I won't mention your last name, Brenda. If you're listening, thank you for the letter. It was hand delivered. Uh, save on postage. Why not? But um, uh, Brenda contacted me. I think it was last week during our open line segment, and she wants me to get behind or throw my weight behind uh, an initiative. She wa- she's included the letter here that she has written to Hollywood filmmaker Oliver Stone uh, through the Creative Artists Agency. And um, she writes, Dear Mr. Stone, my name is Brenda. I live at, she gives her address in uh, Ontario here with her phone number. She says, I'm unable to use a computer, so I've arranged for this letter to be sent to you. There is a radio station, Zuma Radio in Toronto, that transmits to the U.S. as well, The Conspiracy Show. Uh, the host, Richard Serrett, he has mentioned you on air regarding a movie you made about JFK. Well, we're all familiar with that. He said it would be nice if you could make a movie about targeted individuals. Numerous people have contacted Richard and forwarded documents and or photos on his show. Uh, uh, and then he, she names when the show airs, Sunday nights from 11 to 1. Uh, do you ever come to Toronto? Do you have a representative in Toronto? Would you be interested? Should you reply to my letter, kindly address it, and then she gives the address. So, Brenda, thank you for this. Uh, she sort of also outlined her horrific ordeal as a, an alleged targeted individual and um, would, again, like Oliver Stone to make a movie about this, which I think, you know, is a no-brainer. This is something I genuinely feel Oliver Stone would be very interested in. And for what it's worth, I will uh, I'll be happy to do what I can. Uh, to make sure Oliver Stone gets that. Not that I have any contact with Oliver Stone. I do not, um, you know, I don't uh, float around in those circles, believe me. Uh, but it deserves a uh, an Oliver Stone treatment. He did such a, uh, a remarkable job on JFK. Many people see that as a documentary, not a motion picture. But, um, hey, let's see what happens. Thank you for that, Brenda, and uh, I hope you're well. All right. Uh, all right, let's talk haunted hospitals, asylums, and institutions. I am looking forward to this. Richard Estep has spent the past two decades investigating claims of ghosts and hauntings on both sides of the Atlantic. Estep co-founded the Boulder County Paranormal Research Society and has published uh, two other books on the paranormal, including In Search of the Paranormal. He's a prolific speaker at British and American genre conventions and has appeared in paranormal video segments for About.com and the documentary film The Ghosts of Illich Theatre. 
Richard is donating. This is nice. He's donating 10% of his royalties from this book. Let me hold it up to the webcam. 10% of the royalties from this book to the St. Baldrick's Foundation, an organization that raises money to combat childhood cancer. He lives in Boulder, Colorado. Richard Estep, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, sir? Very well, Richard. And you're in Boulder, Colorado tonight? I'm just outside. I'm in Longmont, Colorado. All right. And how did you become transplanted from uh, your uh, – are you from London originally? Well, I'm from uh, north of London. It's a place called Leicester. Ah, yes. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're most famous these days for soccer fans, of course. Absolutely. We'll have heard of Leicester City's meteoric rise this week. And uh, we, we hide our kings under the car parks. <laughs> That's right. That's where they found sur- uh, the, uh, the bones of the remains of King Richard. It is. And you have a, a pretty swell university there as well. We have a couple, actually. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you find yourself in Colorado? Uh, I found myself in Colorado in 99 when I came out to work for uh, an, an IT company. Mm-hmm. And I was married to an American lady at the time, married to a different one now. They say the first marriage is always for uh, practice, right? <laughs> Speak and, for uh, yourself. We ended, up, <laughs> we ended up settling in the U.S., and uh, 16 years later, I'm still here. Now, did your interest in the paranormal coincide with your career as a paramedic and volunteer firefighter, or was it? did it happen before? It predated it by many years. It's an interest that I'd always had. It's one of my lifelong passions, and it's kind of infiltrated most aspects of my life. But uh, it seemed like a logical progression when the publisher was asking me, what ideas do you have for a next book that I would consider what I did for a living and and take that forward as a proposal? And I, I mentioned in the preamble uh, that if you gain the confidence – and in fact, you don't necessarily need to know, know people in the healthcare uh, profession that well. Maybe you know, you just, you're, uh, you're at a party, they have a cocktail, and many of them are willing they're, – they're glad to – to impart this information about paranormal experiences they've had. I mean, nurses, doctors, you name it, anyone who works in a hospital. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's true of all professions, Richard. And I'll give you a good example from just last night. Uh, I have a job as a tour guide. I do ghost tours at the uh, Haunted Stanley Hotel in mm. Estes Park. Right. You know, the, uh, yeah. Stan- yeah, the, the Stephen Hotel. King, The Shining, absolutely. So I was conducting a late night tour last night, and I always like to ask the guests, hey, who are my skeptics, who are my believers, and who's on the fence? So there was one gentleman that had seemed pretty skeptical, and I must have misread him, because at the end of the tour, I was chatting to him, and uh, I said, so were you skeptical? Were you a believer? Or, and have you changed your mind in the last 90 minutes? And he said, no, I walked in a believer uh, because of where I work. I said, oh, do tell, where do you work? And he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm a mortician. <laughs> and I've yes. got stories that you would not believe. <laughs> so, so I said, I've got to ask you, you know, is this unique to your place of work? Or when, when you guys get together, you know, the morticians have trade conferences and hang out. Right. Do you all have these kind of stories? And he said, yeah, we, most of us have them. Most. Fascinating, mm-hmm. fascinating. But And I also mentioned, you know, it makes sense. That if you're if you're going ghost hunting, the place, you know, the last place I probably would look would be a cemetery. 
And the first place would be a place where people are busy living and dying, and that, those would be hospitals and even prisons uh, and, and, and asylums and other institutions. And you think, obviously – I mean, you, did you come to that conclusion before you became a paramedic? I think that wherever you find a lot of people living on top of one another, if you will, you find ghosts. So you look at places like um, prisons, hospitals, um, anywhere like that, you have a large amount of humanity. And in both those instances, emotions run high. You know, um, Prisons are more negative emotions, of course. In hospitals, you have both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. You know, you have the, the most joyous news in the world of new families with a child being born. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, sometimes just one floor up, you have lives coming to an end in a great deal of grief. And it's all packed into this relatively small amount of square footage. All right. We will uh, continue this conversation. The world's most haunted hospitals. If hospital walls could talk, what tales they would tell. Well, we'll tell some of them on the other side. Richard Estep, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Richard Estep is with us, paramedic, volunteer firefighter by day, paranormal investigator by night, the author of a number of books, uh, including the Wellington Undead series, and his latest is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, and that's what we're discussing. And some of these hospitals, and and this, I mean, he has toured the world. Uh, to uncover some of these locations. Some of them are now uh, in total ruins or partially uh, demolished, others completely demolished, whereas others are still uh, functioning hospitals to this very day. Uh, before we, uh, we get into that, let me also uh, put the, uh, the call out uh, to anyone working in the, um, the healthcare uh, profession, nurses, doctors, paramedics, uh, first responders, even police. If you have had an experience, a paranormal experience, would love to hear from you, and we'll make the phones available to you at 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, Uh Before we get into the hospitals, let me ask you as a paramedic, have you ever had an experience inside an ambulance, a paranormal experience? You know, I have not. You might expect that that would be the case, but um, nobody ever dies in an ambulance. Nobody ever dies. Well, I guess they're not legally declared dead in an ambulance. Is it like Disneyland? Nobody ever dies in Disneyland? (laughs) I hadn't heard nobody ever dies in Disneyland, but you're right. Nobody is pronounced dead in an ambulance. Do you know why? Because you have to have a coroner declare them dead. No? Well, actually, paramedics can pronounce people dead. Oh, okay. Um, however, 
we tend to either do that on the scene or we tend to do that at the hospital if somebody stops um, uh, if somebody's heart stops on route and the reason is that uh, ambulances of course are extremely busy vehicles and if somebody were to uh, actually be pronounced dead in one it would be out of service for most of the day while the coroner comes in and makes sure of the the legal particulars of the case oh interesting yeah, I would so also, most folks tend to be pronounced on scene or at the opposite end of the right. Of the I right. didn't know that. I didn't know that. And and that uh, this may be an urban legend, but the story is again nobody want, nobody is allowed to to be declared dead at Disneyland because obviously that would taint, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and so they will they are they are flown out or driven out and declared legally declared dead outside of Disneyland proper. I can't swear by that. That may be an urban legend. All right. So uh, you traveled the world, and um, uh, there's one other thing I want to talk to you about. And you mentioned the Stanley Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I saw this on Yahoo News. There was a photograph, a tourist. I don't know if they were part of your tour. Someone snapped a photo. They were down, in their, uh, uh, I think, in the bar area. And there at the top of the stairs in this photo, the person didn't notice until much later, there is the figure of a woman, diaphanous. Uh, a partial apparition, but very clearly a woman at the top of the stairs. Have you seen that photo? And what do you think, if you have? Well, I'm very new at the Stanley. I've only been there for a couple of weeks, so it would not have been on my tour. But I can tell you that um, the hotel gets a large number of submissions of uh, anomalous photographs from guests on a very regular basis. Some of them turn out to be easily explicable. You know, reflections, camera smears, insects, dust, those kind of things. Right. Others are harder to explain away. And um, the tour guides there, the experienced ones, will make a point of taking a look at them and seeing if they can find a conventional explanation. But they're not always able to. All right. Um, The most haunted hospital in the continental United States would be what, in your estimation, Richard? Well, I kind of have a vested interest in this in that it's the subject of an upcoming book. So I did try and visit as many of the hospitals in this book as I possibly could. And if I were an international jet setter with an unlimited budget, I would have visited them all. As it was, I wasn't able to do that, but I was able to talk to people that have been uh, inside them all, pretty much. But here in the States, I was able to hit um, a number of the facilities. And I think my favorite one is the old Tuella Hospital just outside Salt Lake City in Utah. Hmm. And when you look at the way this place is laid out, it is uh, a former community hospital that closed down uh, 2004-2005, something like that. Now, the second half of the building at the back is still a retirement home. The buildings are connected, but they are um, separated by locking doors. And then to the right of them is the town cemetery. And what happened with this old hospital is it lay derelict for a few years and then was bought by private owners. And they did it with the purpose of making it a Halloween-style haunted house attraction. So if you can imagine, when the uh, doctors, nurses, and staff upped and left for the last time, they left everything behind. And when I say everything, I mean the x-ray suite was left, the beds were left. All of the equipment in the emergency room, scalpels, you name it. My. I, I don't so, know. That's kind of – don't you think that's kind of distasteful? They want to turn that into a Hollywood 
Yeah, into a Halloween attraction, and it's still attached to a senior's home? Well, there's a real division there of of the, the folks in the um, care facility do not get into the haunted house attraction. And that facility is actually moving early next year. Okay. So I can see why some might think it's distasteful. But, you know, let me give you the flip side of this coin. I ended up moving into that hospital for a week um, in Halloween of 2015. And most of the um, people that work there are kids that volunteer from the local community. You know, so in certainly in a lot of relatively small towns, there aren't too many healthy things for the kids to do at night and at a weekend. Right, right. But a lot of the community has come together. And this is a passion project for them. They're immensely proud of it. They, they create characters, they audition, and the scariest characters that they can come up with make it into the haunted house. Okay, you won me over. Now, did you move in there as part of an investigation? I did, and here's why. I initially was writing haunted hospitals early last year. I uh, started writing it in January, and it was published in January of this year. So I knew that I had to have the book finished by the summer. And so I'd heard about um, the old Tuella Hospital, and I contacted the owners and said, guys, do you mind if I bring a couple of investigators and perhaps uh, spend a night or two there? So they said, sure, come figure out what's going on for yourself. So I liked that. There was no sales pitch. There was a come find out what you can. So we made the drive from Colorado, and it was 1,000-plus miles door-to-door each way. In to- I'm sorry, in total, 500 miles each way. That's a long night. So we drove out on the Saturday morning, spent the night there, went through their archive of EVPs and photographs and other evidence, and we were pretty tired and really didn't have a very active night at all. And I said, you know, this this hospital's great, but it has a scary reputation. It hasn't really lived up to it. And they said, well, Richard, here's the problem. This is abandoned for basically eight months of the year. You came off season. If you were here in October, we have over 30,000 people coming through here, and they're getting the fright of their lives every single night. And that's when our ghosts are most active. Why don't you come back afterwards? I said, well, you know, I've got to have the book in, but I would be interested in learning more about this case. It's a long way to come for a night. Will you let me have the keys for a week? Because to me, that's the real acid test, you know. Are you willing to give this place up for a week and let me see what I can find? Right, right. And they had no hesitation. So I took a team of paranormal investigators, paramedics, and nurses. And we went out there for a week beginning on Halloween night. Are you sleeping in the, the old hospital beds? So not quite. We, um, we took hotel rooms in the area. Okay. We worked in shifts. Yeah, there are some things even I won't do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, but we did spend uh, pretty much every night in the hospital itself. And we we would lock it up. We would seal it up. We wired the place for sound and for cameras, so we knew we were the only people in there. And after Halloween night, of course, we would wait um, for the the guests to go home, the visitors, and then we would investigate the activity in the place. And it was immensely active. Uh, so it ended up getting its own book. All right. So we'll look forward to that. But can you tease us a little bit? What what did you what did Certainly. you see? What did you hear? So. Perhaps the most fascinating thing, I had wanted very much to try an experiment I'd never heard of being done before. So I also teach EMTs and paramedics 
as part of my living. And we have these very realistic mannequins. You know, they have functioning airways. Uh, you can put IVs in them. You can right. push fluids and drugs through them. So I was able to borrow one and some medical equipment, including a cardiac monitor. And on our road trip, we took this mannequin out with us. And we ran cardiac arrest simulations in the old emergency room. And the resident spirit in there that has been reported many times over is a physician, an ER doctor. And the mediums that have been through all tell a very similar story. They've said that this doctor is very much, it's my way or the highway. You know, I don't tolerate fools. I don't tolerate incompetence. And I don't tolerate disagreement. You do it my way or we're going to fall out. So I got my crew together. And these are very experienced medical providers. And I said, I think we should do two cardiac arrest simulations. And the first one, we'll make sure that we run it like the Keystone Cops. Like everything is going to go wrong. You know, we'll miss all of our IVs. We will get annoyed with each other. We'll start being um, uh, snippy with one another and snarky. You know, we'll see how the atmosphere goes. But nothing's going to go right. And then the second one will run perfectly just as we would run a real cardiac arrest. So the idea was I would act as the physician for the first cardiac arrest, and then my colleague Jen, who is a senior paramedic, would run the second. So we run this first cardiac arrest, and oh, it's bad. I mean, we had people tripping over IVs and pulling them out of the arms. Nobody could get a drug dose right. If we could make it go wrong, we did. You know, And we became very catty with one another. When we were finished, I pronounced the patient dead, threw down the stethoscope, and very theatrically slammed out of the doors um, in a huff. We took a break, and I realized I'd left my radio down in the security room. So I said, guys, I just have to go get my radio. And it's important to understand, Richard, that every door in this facility is wedged. They put a chuck underneath it because it's bad form to have one close on a, a guest, you know, a customer. It's a safety hazard. Right, right. So chuck them all open. I walk down to the security center, look at all the cameras. Nothing's moving in the entire hospital. I walk back, walk through this doorway, and I hear this almighty slam. And the door has been thrust as hard as possible against its hinges two inches from my back. And it seemed like a very personal, very pointed, how dare you speak to your teammates like that, ah, you horrible little man. Right, right. If you've ever been in an argument, Richard, where either you or the other person is so angry they've slammed the door as they left the room, right? that was exactly what it sounded and felt like. Was that caught on the security camera? It was not caught on camera because that part of the hallway wasn't covered. This is a huge hospital and right, you, you have right. to your spots okay but we examined the scene afterwards and the wedge had actually been pulled out and moved four feet away remarkable so the chalk had been pulled out and so i uh if you if you talk to my uh, paramedic colleague jen she was actually my boss at the time and she said richard i've seen you in life and death situations you've never even broken a sweat right now you're pale and you're shaking are you okay and i said well the difference is jen I've spent 20 years investigating cases like this. This feels very targeted and personal. Yeah. And so one of the nurses I can imagine. And said, you made someone angry. I mean, that's the vibe we're all getting. 
you know, you you probably need to earn some forgiveness. So Jen talked to me and said, I'm happy to run this second simulation perfectly, but I think you should do it. And I think you should let whoever it is know that you are capable of running this like a professional with respect. Right, right. Now, and so that's exactly what we did. So the second one went smoothly, and uh, did you get a pat on the back from the great beyond, or what happened? We, we didn't, but what I did, when we left, it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and I've never felt really this ridiculous, but I, I apologize to thin air because I'm a big believer in not provoking, um, but this was more of an attempt to stimulate the energies in the environment. Right. And I wanted to let any spirits present know that no disrespect was intended to them. So I offered a very forthright apology and ate some humble pie. And was that the end of it? I mean, was there any other activity, uh, any EVPs, any orbs? We got numerous EVPs. And one thing that's particularly fascinating is that most, most of the, shall we say, darker activity takes place in the older wing of the hospital. But there is one particular hallway where shadow figures are very active. We were engaged in a spirit box session with an SB-11. Are what you familiar with that? Well, I, I know, uh, for example, like Frank's box, uh, these, uh, yeah. these two-way radios. Uh, they're sometimes called Frank's box. So that's what you were, you were handling, one of these. And this is where you sort of you scan very quickly in between channels on a radio um, and basically you're hearing a lot of white noise and static and so forth. The idea is I guess the spirit can somehow manipulate the, uh, the little snippets of voices and form sentences. Is that the idea? That's exactly the idea. Now we found that we were getting some uh, very abusive comments coming through the box directed towards one of our female nurses. And this is not a lady you want to push around. So she stood her ground, having a very strong character and personality like most nurses do. Um, but uh, some very, shall we say, lewd suggestions came through the box. Mm. And another thing that was really interesting was that we had a voice coming through that was mocking my English accent. Wow. <laughs> and that kind of disturbed a few of the people present. That was one just, snarky doctor. Listen, Richard, uh, stay put. We'll come back, continue to talk about the world's most haunted hospitals. We have a, uh, a caller on the line waiting, Carl in New York City, who is, is he a, a doctor, Ian, did you say? Or oh, he's, he's a healthcare, he works in a hospital. Anyway, Carl in New York City with a story as well. Stay with us, The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serra. Thanks for hanging out. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. And if you'd like to get in on the discussion about uh, haunted hospitals, asylums, other institutions, if you're a, um, a healthcare professional, you work uh, as a first responder, paramedic, firefighter, what have you, and have a paranormal story to share, we make the phone lines available to you now at 416 360 
740-416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, 866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Richard Estep uh, with us, the world's most haunted hospitals, and Carl has been waiting. He's in New York City uh, and works in a hospital. Carl, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good evening, Richard. I've worked in several uh, institutions. I've uh, worked in a, attached to a psychiatric hospital, and I, I am an engineer. I'm not a healthcare professional. I take care of the building systems. All right. Um, working downstairs in the powerhouse for an old psychiatric center, working on a pump with a technician, we looked up, we saw a man walk right through the wall, just like he was walking around looking at the equipment. And it just, we both saw it. Hmm. And I've actually gotten pictures of, uh, like, the hat man, like a shadow hat man. Right. Um, in 2009, the day after Christmas, I took a picture, and there are three distinct figures in that picture. And I, I've actually had them where they've actually saved me. I had a steam leak, and there was a figure holding the steam off him. You could see the shadow of the figure in the steam. I wasn't getting burned. And it was steam that was so high pressure, it could have cut you in half. Wow. So you've had numerous incidents yes. or occurrences with these apparitions. Yes. Are you able to name the hospital? or? I would prefer not to. Okay, no, fair enough. I and respect I that. I also work at another. Um, I've been to several different facilities through my years. And the current one, the old part of the hospital, the pictures of the old doctors move on the walls. You go down the wall, go down the hall, the pictures turn sideways or tip on the wires. Mm-hmm like off-center, then you come back, and they're straight, or they're the other way, but they're, you know, it's like somebody playing with them. Right. That's me in the afterlife, because I'm a picture straightener. It drives me crazy. So that's me (laughs) on the other side, if, uh, you know, if that fate awaits me. So uh, let's get Richard Estep in here, and I'm curious about uh, a remarkable story, Carl. Thank you for that. uh, These apparitions saving him from a steam leak... And photographic evidence to boot, he says. We'd love to see those pictures, Carl. If you have them on a JPEG, you could send. I don't know if you're at liberty. I don't. They're, they're actually in a cell phone. I took them with a cell phone camera. Well, you could you could certainly save that in, as a JPEG and send it. Um, I'll try to send it to you, Richard Serrett. It's uh, AM740. Uh, no, go to my website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a contact page there. Okay, because I'd sent a picture to uh, one of your guests before and never heard anything when you were talking about the hat man. I tell you what, um, send it to me in care of, or at, through this email, Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, Richard Serrett, right. the number one, at gmail.com, Richard Serrett one at gmail.com. I will do that. Uh, looking forward to it. Carl, thanks for that great story. Thank you. All right, Richard Estep, what do you make of that? Well, I think it's a, a terrific story. And, um, you know, I always love when a witness does not want to identify their uh, the, the location. Carl's obviously not looking to get famous. He's not trying to identify his uh, facility. He has no reason to make this up. 
Right. Well, so, you know, these are the kind of credible witnesses that I talk to day in and day out. Well, when he sends that picture, and I'm assuming he will, I'll share that with you. Uh, and, Please. And then maybe the two of you could uh, – if that hasn't been covered in this book, that uh, whatever, wherever that asylum or hospital is, uh, maybe, you know – this could be in uh, the second volume. Uh, I want to talk about this abandoned hospital in uh, – it's an air base in, in the Philippines uh, that just has people so terrified they just won't go there. And that's the old Clark Air Base Hospital in the Philippines. Right. Yeah, so it's abandoned now and it's hard to realize because that entire area was covered in volcanic ash one of the reasons that the base was shut down. But at its time, the inception of the hospital during the height of the Vietnam War, it was a state-of-the-art hospital facility. And it met the needs of thousands of American service people, um, including their spouses and and children. You know, you had a lot of American military kids born there. um, And it was a a medical wonder during during the day. But Clark was one of the first stops usually the first stop for wounded servicemen coming back from combat in Vietnam. So you had this um, continuous stream of deeply traumatized, both physically and emotionally, um, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines coming through that facility. And it's around that time that the first ghost stories started getting recorded. Did you travel there? I was not able to do that. But I talked to a friend of mine who is an urban explorer who has been boots on the ground inside Clark. And uh, another friend of mine who's with Ghost Hunters International, Barry Fitzgerald. And he'd spent the night in there when they were filming an investigation. And I talked to him, and it's kind of interesting, the disparity between the two. Uh, Robert Joe, the urban explorer, he said, you know, it's a creepy location, but the atmosphere wasn't that bad. And I think what most haunts this area is psychological. On the other hand, Barry Fitzgerald said that he had such extensive activity in there, I couldn't write him a big enough check to spend one more night in that building. Isn't that interesting? Now, the discrepancy, does it have more to do with the psychological, um, physiological makeup of the investigator or just happenstance? Uh, Well, we'll discuss when we come back. We'll take a time out, but I'll, I'll ask you more about uh, Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines and uh, why the discrepancy uh, between two investigators. Richard Estep is with us. The world's most haunted hospitals, true life paranormal encounters in asylums, hospitals, and institutions. We have more waiting on the other side. Join us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. 
Uh, Richard Estep is with us, paramedic, volunteer firefighter by day, paranormal investigator by night, and uh, his latest is called The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. And um, we were talking about uh, this abandoned uh, hospital, an abandoned U.S. uh, base, Army base, in uh, the Philippines, Two separate investigators uh, went there. And again, this is where returning uh, wounded soldiers from the Vietnam conflict uh, would come en route back to America. And obviously, uh, a great deal of mental, physical, emotional anguish um, would, be, would have you know, been present at that hospital uh, and abandoned because of some volcanic activity in the area. So two separate uh, two, uh, separate. Investigators went there with two different stories. One said, um, you know, really not a lot of activity going on. The other one was absolutely horrified, couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, does that have more to do with the investigator and their physiological, emotional state, or does it have to do with mere happenstance? Uh, You know, one went there for whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of activity. The other went there, and there was more activity. Well, I think it's important to make the distinction that the uh, gentleman who said that he felt quite comfortable there was an urban explorer. So his whole thing is that he likes to find these out-of-the-way abandoned places and explore them. He is not looking for anything paranormal, whereas, of course, the paranormal investigator is. So you make a great point, Richard, that I think that we have predisposition here. If you are going to a location that you're told or believe is haunted, you're more likely to react to everything that seems potentially out of the ordinary. You're more likely to think it's paranormal. And it's very easy for me, um, as I'm doing the interview, to kind of armchair quarterback. But he was the guy that put boots on the ground, you know, and stayed there all night and was telling me about the fact that a couple of the investigators nearly came afoul of some poisonous snakes. You know, it's a very creepy environment. Sure. And And dangerous. Yeah, very much dangerous. And there are holes in the floor that will take you down um, uh, into the basement to easily break a bone or, and so on and so forth. But I think that we're all certainly predisposed in a haunted location to expect to see ghosts. And what I find most fascinating is, does it make us more likely to misinterpret something as being paranormal? Or does it make us more open to the genuinely paranormal? That's a great question. And that's a debate that we could have all night. Right. It it is a great question. And I I genuinely believe that some people are just wired a little differently so that they – I mean if we were talking about a spirit world that's based on vibrations, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, vibration rates, then I, I, I believe some people are simply wired to be able to perceive those and some are not. I think that there's a a lot of truth there. And one thing that fascinates me is that when you look at cases where, um, let's say you have a large bunch of people, uh, 20, 30 people, and they're in a historic location, like say Hampton Court in England, you know, Henry VIII's old palace. Right, right. And you'll hear five or six of these people see an apparition. And the majority of the group does not. What is it about those five or six people that made them able to experience this the ghostly when the others didn't. 
you know is it the way that their brains work is it genetic is it some biological factor is it psychological is it just that they were more attuned as you said to those vibrations we still don't know how people see ghosts in fact seeing may be the wrong word entirely in fact i sometimes wonder if we don't perceive them in an entirely different way right right now the not the urban explorer but the other the the the, uh, the paranormal investigator that went to clark yeah. air force base what did he experience well barry went with the the team from ghost hunters international and they had a very busy night um, they found the basement to be extremely active. They were seeing shadow figures down there. They're hearing footsteps all around in this deserted building. They're hearing all kinds of whispers and other noises. Um, and, and it was extremely active for them. All right. Uh, you mentioned uh, England, Hampton Court. I want to talk about uh, St. Thomas uh, Hospital. Oh, yeah. in, in London. And there's a, it's not necessarily the hospital grounds uh, we're talking about, but there's a bridge sort of adjacent to the hospital, uh, where people have seen apparitions. I mean, for generations, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's it kind of interesting you should bring this up. So St. Thomas's Hospital is one of London's oldest, and it sits directly across the River Thames from the Houses of Parliament. Uh, and the bridge that's, that, that separates them both has long been renowned to be haunted. And, and just on a quick tangent, I just watched it explode today. I was in the movies checking out the new uh, Captain America movie. Oh, is that right? Saw the, yeah, I saw the trailer for uh, the Independence Day sequel. Right. And I watched them blow up St. Thomas's, the Houses of Parliament, and that bridge. There you go. So, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that whole part of London has its ghost stories, the Thames being no exception. And the ghost of um, a barge has been seen that always comes downstream, passes under the bridge, and never comes out. But also the spirit of a uh, suicide that has been seen jumping into the waters. And a number of me uh, men have gone in after this particular suicide in an attempt to rescue her and are never able to find her. There's another hospital in London. I don't know if it's St. Thomas's, but there's a, a ghostly nurse in Grey who has frightened generations of uh, nurses and doctors. Uh, is, that is St. Thomas's. That is St. Thomas's. Tell us about the Grey nurse ghost. Well, what's interesting is... I don't know that she's um, she's scaring them. A friend of mine actually encountered her, uh, so the, and she's famous. The uh, ghost, not my friend. <laughs> okay. So the, the deal with St. Thomas's is, it's where Florence Nightingale began her first nursing school. Ah. So it's believed by many that the the Grey Lady is Florence Nightingale's ghost herself, which I think is extremely cool. Nothing sinister friend, then about her. She uh, no no looking over and people. And I think that. Uh, when you look at some of the uh, ghosts of nurses and physicians, in reality, these are very caring people. I think that healing is a, a calling, not just a profession. And it's amazing to me researching this book, how many of them are still on duty years after their deaths, you know? Right. It's almost as if that desire to minister to the sick um, doesn't leave and that their spirits might perhaps stick around. Uh, there's an interesting distinction, types of, types of ghosts. There's the ghost that seems to be um, kind of an echo. Uh, you know, the ghost is seen in the same spot at a certain time, coming down and descending the stairs, uh, almost as if the, there is no consciousness there. 
Residual. A residual. And then there are ghosts that, uh, that seem to have consciousness. They're interacting. They're leaving EVPs. They're, they're leaving lewd remarks on Frank's box. Um, talk to me about that distinction. I mean, w- w- what type of ghost is more common? And it's, you raise a great point, Richard. And we tend to use the word ghost as a catch-all. You know, we tend to mean the spirit of dead people. For the most part, if we say ghost, that's what we mean. But in reality, I think it's more of an umbrella term. And I think it encompasses a spectrum where at one end, you have something that is no more intelligent than the image on my TV screen tonight when I'm watching Gotham. You know, it just replays over and over again. These are events that happened a long time ago and have somehow been recorded on the environment. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have these entities which are able to interact with the living, you know, both physically. Um, the Grey Lady, for example, has brought drinks to dying patients when they're thirsty at night, has done the job of a nurse, and can actually manipulate their environment. So I'm not sure we're entirely dealing with the same thing. The poltergeist is something different again. And which type of ghost have you had the most experience with? I think the majority of cases that we're called in to investigate are intelligent or seem to be intelligent. Um, The residual ones tend to be found at locations where you've had a very traumatic event or someone has loved the environment very much. Let's say, um, for example, they haunt their favorite house because they were very happy there during their lifetime. So somebody spends 30 years in a house that they love they somehow imprint their image there like a natural recording. And then the susceptible can come back and, for want of a better term, replay that tape, you know. Richard Estep is with us. The book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. Just have about two minutes. Just give us a little taste of the story. It's this Italian island, and it's referred to by locals as the gateway to hell. This, is, yeah. this has to do with plague victims. It does. Pavalia Island, just off Venice. Are we going to talk about that now? Just, just, for a, just to give us a, a hint of it, because we have about a minute so, and a half here. We're looking at um, a location which was a burial and dumping ground for the corpses of victims of the Black Death um, off the coast of Venice. And there are some pretty hairy legends that go along with that, to the point where the locals will still not uh, take boats out to Pavalia. And the police actually have a have it cordoned off. Is that right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Are you itching yeah, to go actually, there? Do you have a burning desire to visit? I wouldn't have been able to go there, at least not legitimately. Um, but people, are, shall we say, have a reputation for bribing right. locals to drop them off and then come pick them off the next day. Right. And if I could do it legitimately, I'd spend a night there. Do you know any investigators that have made it there? The, the guys from uh, Ghost Adventures spent a night there. And it was an extremely active night, and I don't think they would go back. Wow. Well, that's saying something. When you scare off an investigator, someone who does this for a living, you would think mm-hmm. they would relish an opportunity to go back. And when they, they swear up and down, that's it. <laughs> I'm hanging up my, my ghost hunting uh, coat or whatever. You know, you really you've mm-hmm. found the, uh, you found a hot spot. Well, Richard, uh, thank you so much for this. And we look forward to your upcoming book on this uh, hospital in, uh, in Salt Lake City. And um, good luck on all future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. 
The world's most haunted hospitals, Richard S. Stepp. Let me spell the last name for you. E-S-T-E-P, if you want to uh, Google that and uh, find out more about Richard. And we've also linked up to his website on mine. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and uh, find the radio page. It's all right there. Thank you to uh, Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Jonathan Franz. Back next week with a brand new show. Uh, let's see, Bob Mitchell, ufologist Bob Mitchell be with us. That should be good. Victor Vigiani, of course, in studio as well. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.